Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. My name is Danny Rivers. If you're a guest with us here, thank you so much, especially here at this service, this first service, because this is where all the ninja Christians show up. Um, And uh, so, yeah, we're glad you're here. The series is Swipe Bright. And swipe right is a sort of technical term for how people nowadays decide whether they like people on an app called Tinder and other apps, and we're not really focused on that app or any of the apps, Um, but what we're saying is we want to choose right, Uh, we want to choose, when it comes to our romantic relationships, we want to choose God's way, and this all is loosely based on a a book by a pastor named Levi Lusco uh, by the same name, Swipe Right, and really we just liked his artwork a whole lot, so kind of we just mostly just stole that, because it's really cool. Uh, At least I think it is anyways. Um, So what we're praying during this relationship series is, is God help us to regret proof our marriage beds for those of us who are married, for those of us who may get married someday, and, and our death beds. Like God help us regret proof our marriage beds and our death beds as it relates to the decisions that we make involving our romantic uh, lifestyles. And the language we're using is from this day forward. We've been saying that every uh, week during this series that that's the real heartbeat. Like we can't change the past. I can't change what I did yesterday or last year or when I was a kid. So nobody's up here trying to add shame or guilt uh, for anything that's happened in your past or in my past. What we're saying is that we want to fight for our future, that from this day forward, we're going to choose to, to swipe right, to make wise decisions. And, and I'm here to say from this day forward, things can be better uh, and can change in our lives. Amen, somebody? Uh, that, that God's grace is sufficient. Paul said that, God, uh, that Jesus said God, that his grace was sufficient for, for him no matter what's happened. And I just believe that. So today uh, and next week, as we wrap up this series next week, uh, and by the way, next week is Time Change Sunday. Um, historically, across the America, the lowest attended service of the year. Now you're like, well, why did I tell you that? Because now you're like, well, that means we get the week off. I'm telling you that to put pressure on you um, to show up one hour earlier than you did today. You're like, oh, bro, come on, man. This isn't the good time change. The fog time change, that's the one we get the, fi- the extra hour. This is the one we don't have the extra hour. So you're welcome. I don't know why, whoever thought of that, I don't know why they did that. Just leave it alone. Let's pick one and just stick with it. But anyways, uh, that's, that's my problem, not yours. Um, be here, help us out. We're gonna, it's gonna be a great weekend. And also spring break starts next weekend too. So hopefully you guys got awesome plans. If not, kids, have fun staying in your house at home all week. Amen, all right. <laughs> I, I wanna dig in today and next week. Um, the first two weeks, we haven't really talked about marriage a whole lot as much as we've just been talking about romantic relationships. We've been talking to young people. We've been talking to single people as much or more than anybody else. Today, I kind of want to change gears just a little bit and really dig into a celebration of marriage, the beauty of, of marriage, the benefits of marriage, and how to make it last. You know, in our culture, there is this sort of underlying, I don't think it's overt, but I think it's definitely implied, it's implicit in our culture that that marriage is this kind of a, of a downer thing, right? People are not getting married at all nowadays, or people are getting married much, much, much later. They're waiting for all the conditions to be right, where some of us, we just got married because it was like, I'm 17, what else do I have to do? You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I was doing some research for this series, and I ran into 
this, uh, there was a Time magazine, like the entire magazine was devoted to marriage a, a year or two ago. And so I got online and I started reading some of the articles and this first article really grabbed my attention because of how it started. Here, here's what this lady said. She said, there's a reason fairy tales always end in marriage. Did you ever realize that? They always end in marriage. It's because nobody wants to see what comes after. This is what she said. It's too grim. Meeting the right person, working through comic misunderstandings, overcoming family disapproval to get to the altar. Those are the stories worth telling. Plotting on year after year with that same old soul, Yawnsville. That's what she said. And then it just kind of went downhill from there. Definitely a cynic here. Um, And I know that a lot of people have had bad experiences with marriage. I know that some of you probably in this room have had bad experiences. And so today, as we talk about this, this is not designed to make anybody feel bad about whatever's happened. Again, we're just saying from this day forward, everybody, from this day forward. Um, And and this this, this article and, and others like it just sort of underscore this idea in our culture that marriage is kind of lame, right? It's kind of lame. Like, you don't see movies very often where the central romantic figures are married people, right? There's either like an adultery thing going on or it's single people. Rarely is it just ever a couple of 45-year-olds that are happily married. You rarely ever see that, right? And and, and it's just this, I, I would call it just this lie that is perpetuated that there's no fun in marriage. There's no fun after the initial spark and the chemistry and the sizzle and the passion and the newness of a relationship. After all that passes, it's just, you know, the old ball and chain year after year, same old, same old. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how it's pitched. And some of you are like, yeah, but that's totally true. Don't raise your hand, right? Don't do that, right? But let me tell you this. As a guy who's been married 21 years now, right? Uh, I, I have not had that experience. Like, I, I'm finding it getting better and better and better, for real. Like, honestly, I'm not saying there's not been challenges along the way, because there have, but I would like to say is this. One of the biggest surprises um, about being married is how fun it's been, like how, how much of a party it's been, how much life it has given me, how much joy it has given me. Take it for what it's worth from a guy who's been married only 21 years, right? And I, I, I want to tell you this, marriage is amazing. It's fantastic. It really, really is. When you find two people who understand what I'm going to tell you today, you're going to find out that marriage can be and is amazing and it's worth fighting for and you can decide to fight in your marriage or you can decide to fight for your marriage, but generally speaking, you won't be able to do both, all right? So that's the thing. What I want to do today is I want to give you a secret um, that, that happily married couples, or I, I would say not even happily married, I would say very fulfilled married couples know um, that is going to seem, certainly in our culture, very counterintuitive, very countercultural. Uh, this is a secret that especially couples, I would say, who've been married 15 years or more, because that's about the time that I started to understand this, um, and I wish somebody would told me about it, and, I, and probably they did, and I didn't listen. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? Like most of the time when I preach, I, I know I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. And everybody's like, eh, I don't know. I'm going to go out and figure it out my own way. And I'm like, okay, why did you come today? Anyways, um, <laughs> keep coming, though. Keep coming. We want you to come. Um, 
But I, I think about 15 years or so is when it started to dawn on me. This is a secret that they know, these fulfilled couples who've been married for a while, and it's, it's something that's come straight out of the scriptures, and I guarantee you, like, I guarantee you that if, and, and, and you need kind of both people to do this. It can't just be one of you. It's kind of hard with only one. And if it's just one of you, man, keep doing this because it will pay dividends somewhere. If you'll tune in this week and next week when I give the practical application to this, like, like okay, in light of what we said last week, here's four things you should do. That's what's going to be next week. Uh, I promise this can be a game changer. So today we're going to start out by looking at a teaching from Jesus that Jesus gave um, to his, his disciples. And then we're going to look at some follow-up teachings to that, that one teaching that Jesus gave. Paul, the apostle, writes some follow-ups to that verse that I'm going to give you today. And I'd love for you to follow um, this along on, in your Bibles. And if you don't have them, just follow on the screen with me. We'll put them off the screen. This is John chapter 13. Um, and I love 34 and I love verse 35. I'm not going to read 35 today, but I love both of these because they go together. Um, but here's what Jesus says. He's got his guys together and he says to them, a new command I give you. Right? He just starts right there. In other words, guys, these are Jewish guys. They grew up hearing the Old Testament. They grew up memorizing the Old Testament. Certainly those first five books of the, New Testament, of the Old Testament, they would have memorized every, pretty much every Jewish kid growing up in that culture would have memorized those. They knew not only the Ten Commandments, those would have been really drilled down, but there's almost 700 other sort of application points to those commandments. They would have known all of those. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I know you know all those commandments. I want to give you a new one. Right, so this one would be like, what? We, dude, we got enough. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all know what I'm saying? Like there's enough laws and there's enough rules. He goes, I want to give you a new, new, new one. Now, the Greek word for new here can mean more than just new. The, the translators translated it new. It can be, mean extraordinary. So he could have, he could have meant hey, uh, an extraordinary command or a remarkable command. I'm going to give you. Um, and, and then here's his command. Love one another. Love one another. Be, um, and so some of you are like, wait a minute, that's it? Th that's what you brought us today, Danny? Like, dude, you should have studied harder. Come on, somebody. <laughs> like, like we, already know, we already know that. But, but listen to what Jesus does here, because you're going to totally miss it if you don't pay attention to how this word is said. Jesus takes a word that we normally use, love, that we use as a noun. Matter of fact, if I, I did it multiple ways, multiple times. I just Googled the word love in the dictionary, in various dictionaries, and it always starts out with about 10 different explanations of it, and it starts out with the word, it's a noun. It's a noun. He takes a word that we use as a noun, and he makes it a verb, right? Love, which is action, it's something you do, not something you feel, not something you experience, something you do. This is what he does. And he makes it an imperative. It's a command, a new command. I want you to love, a verb, uh, each other. I know, he's like, I know that love is something that you fall into like a swimming pool or you fall out of like a tree. Come on, y'all know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I realize that love is a noun, but I'm making it, today I'm making it a, a new thing. I'm making it a verb. So here's what we're gonna do today. I want us to go home, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whatever your relationship status is, and I want you to love each other as a verb. But we don't love each other. The love is gone. Well, you ought to. You're married, right? But we don't. So, see, now, now here's the thing. When we say stuff like this, we're saying 
we're confusing noun and verb. You're saying, when you say, I don't love her anymore, I don't love him anymore, you're saying, I don't feel love for them anymore. I, I, I want to help you feel it, but what I want to tell you first is that you've got to do love, and then sometimes the feelings will follow after. You've got to sacrifice for love, and sometimes the feelings will drag along behind. That's a fact. For some of you, you would say, well, our relationship started off with us feeling it, and then the feelings went away, or they lessened over time, and now we're trying to get the feel back, and you're thinking the only way to get the feeling back is to, is to meet somebody new, because the, the last time I felt, you know, super passionate about somebody, and, and when I was the most in love, and I was the most excited, was when I first met a new person, and they blew me away. So I think I'll go and meet a new person and get that new car smell back. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and so that's what people do, and that's what people do in our culture. It's like, eh, the love is gone. I'm going to find another person. I'm going to wear out the love in that one. And I'm going to find another person. And sometimes that involves multiple marriages. Sometimes that involves just people who date each other for like a minute. And then, they, and, and then they're swapping like, and anyways, I'm going to just stop right there. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. Here's how it works. If you want to maintain love, if you want to foster love, if you want to blow on the flame, then you need to quit treating love like a noun and you need to treat it like a verb. And he says, fellas, I want you to leave here today with this new commandment. I want you to love one another. Now, we're going to be talking, you can apply this, what I'm going to teach today, you can apply it to any relationship. But today specifically, we're going to talk about it in terms of our romantic, particularly marriage. But for those of you who might be dating or engaged, we're going to talk about it in, in those anyway, uh, in, in that sort of, of light. The, the, the foundation for a stronger, more fulfilling marriage is to make love a verb. I, I just wanted to finish with that. I just want to make sure y'all are listening. I just want to make sure everybody's paying attention. Make love a verb. All right? Everybody with me on that? The goal isn't to recapture a feeling. Listen, in this relationship, the feelings uh, are the caboose and, uh, of the train, and they're not the engines. I know when, when the relationship starts, the feelings are the engine, and everything else is the caboose, but over time, that changes, and, the, and, and become, love becomes the, the, the feelings become the caboose, and everything else is the engine. It's a command, Jesus says, love one another. But he doesn't stop there. Maybe this is the, and, and this is the new part of the command. He says, listen to the rest of the verse. A new command I give you, love one another, and then here's the caveat, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. One another. In other words, he says, I don't want you to take your cue from the culture, even though there's good stuff in the culture. It's not all bad. There's some stuff that's redemptive, right? I don't even want you to take your cues about love, even maybe from your parents, because maybe your parents were like super lovey-dovey. Maybe they were like, they had separate bedrooms, like, and, like, and they would rather go on their vacation with their dog than with each other, but whatever. Like, 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 don't take your cues from anybody else. I want you to take, when you think about what it means to have love as a verb, I want you to take your cues from me. That's what he's saying. Everybody with me so far? I'm going to break these verses down, uh, and then we're going, to, we're going to explain them, and we're going to close it up at the end with, with something for you to do, God willing. Years later, after Jesus gives this verse, um, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, he was a follower of the Jewish tradition, and he was persecuting the Christians, the newborn-found Christians that were being birthed in the book of Acts. Like, he was a zealot for the, the Jewish traditions, and, and Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, changes his life, 
and he starts writing, and he starts planting churches. And here's what he would come along, and he's going to say the exact same thing that Jesus just said using some different uh, some words, uh, except he's going to use a word that is a bad word to us in our culture, a word we don't like. Ephesians 5.21, here's what he said. He starts off with a bad word. Submit to one another. Right? Some of you are like, now that is a bad word. And, and here's the Jesus part again, because remember Jesus said, love one another uh, like, like, Jesus, like I love you. And, and here's the same thing. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? Do you know what this means? It means the same as love one another, except this time there's a, there's a barb in that hook, right? The, 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 the love hook is just kind of gentle and nice. This one's got a little spike into it. He, he says the starting block for people who want to have a happy and fulfilled marriage or relationships is going to be mutual submission, Mutual submission. See, the, there's men who love to take a verse out of the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5 that says, wives, submit to your husband. But the verse, the verse before that one says, submit to one another. Right. Amen, ladies? Can, can I get an amen from y'all? Y'all better help a brother out up here. I'm trying to help you right here. M mutual submission means that I say, in our relationship, you're the priority. Uh, and, and then you would say back to me, no, 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 no. You're, babe, you're the priority. And I would say, no, 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 you're the priority. And we would go back like those chipmunks, I think they were. Anybody the cartoon? You know, you first. No. Anyways, I don't know which one that is. <laughs> Gophers, whatever they were. None of you are old enough to even know what I'm talking about right now. <clears throat> so uh, what I've said so far, you're like, bro, is this really all you have? Like, are you going to give me some more? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, because what, what I've said so far, you're like, this is lame. And it's almost impossible for us to do. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We're going to fight for our own way, and that's what people do. But, but let's not stop where we've started right here. Let's dig a while to figure out how to pull this off, and we're going to do this again as, next, as well next week with some very practical ways to live this out. I want to look at another passage now, also from Paul. This, this is a follow-up sort of deal to the Ephesians passage that we just read. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here. So if you got your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. And if we don't get past this first verse, we'd have plenty of work to do, homework to do. Here's what he says. Verse 3. Would you, would you read this out with me now? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Just the first line again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, if we just all stopped right there and went, okay. When I go home today, I'm going to get home and I'm going to look my husband in the face or my wife or my kids or my girlfriend or whatever, and I'm going to say, from this day forward, I'm going to endeavor with everything inside of me to make sure that nothing I do is selfish or self-centered. First of all, y'all would start laughing at each other, like, whatever, dude, right? But if you could do that, would that change your relationship, yes or no? Like, if you went home and said to each other, hey, babe, you know, I didn't realize Philippians 2, 3 said that, right? That I'm supposed to do what? Nothing out of selfish ambition. Like, I'm going to work hard at that. Like, you can count on me. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to work hard on that. Would that change your marriage right now, yes or no? Yes. Everybody, right? Would it change your relationship with your kids? Yes. Would it change your relationship, kids, with your parents? 
Yes. Would it change relationships with the people at your work? You're like, I don't know. I want to kill them first, and then maybe I can work that out. <laughs> don't kill them, right? Don't, what do we used to say? Go postal on them. Don't go postal on them, right? Now, if we just did that one thing, it would change everything. In fact, though, that little phrase, selfish ambition, it really carries this idea of competition, which you're like, well, we're married. We're not in competition. Have you heard yourself talk to each other recently? Come on, come on. Think about your last conversation, your last argument. I promise you there was some competition going on there. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or competition. That is, try to remove from your relationship with the person that you're trying to have a great friendship with, a great relationship with. Try to remove any element of competition. Don't compete with him or her. Don't try, now here's the part that matters, right? Don't try to prove that you're smarter than him, that you're more disciplined than her. Don't try to attempt to prove that she's dumber than you. You're like, what are you talking about? I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my life, and I promise you this goes on constantly. Don't underscore the fact that he didn't get that quite exactly the way you wanted him to, that she didn't tell you the story exactly the way it happened, right? Matter of fact, don't keep score at all, right? You ever ever see that going on? You ever been at dinner or lunch with somebody, with some couples, and somebody, the the one spouse is trying to tell a story, and the other spouse just was like, no, 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 baby, it wasn't like that. It was four, not three. It was red, not blue. And, And if you're listening to the story, you're just going, I don't care how many. Just finish the story, which I didn't ask you to tell me anyways, and you guys keep correcting each other. Somebody, somebody put me out of my misery, right? You've seen this. Like, it's embarrassing, and you're like, Stop it. You know what I'm saying? So so he's saying, look, as you look at your relationships, if this is going to go in the right direction, do your best to remove all of that whole competitive thing that we have, that scorekeeping thing that we all sort of love to do. If you want to compete with your buddies and your friends and your girlfriends, fine. But in this particular relationship, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or last part of the verse, vain conceit which is just this idea that you have a lot of pride about yourself and the fact that you're always right and I gotta have it my way. He says, get rid of that because that's going to destroy the whole thing. If you wanna make love a verb, I'm gonna always say it like that because I wanna make sure you are listening to me, and and you want a a new relationship, take out selfish ambition. And this is what older, happy, fulfilled couples know. They get, they wean this out of their system over time. This is why they survive 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And you see them at Luby's eating low sodium cabbage and they still look like they like each other. (laughs) Know what I'm saying? I don't know why I said low sodium cabbage, but it just felt right. Then there's that smell that goes along with that. Anyways, take out the selfish ambition. Happy couples know this. But for most of them, it took many years of banging heads and bumping into each other to figure this out and go, oh. So what I want to say to somebody who's been married less time, haven't figured this out yet, if you can figure this out now, not only will you survive, you will thrive over the long haul if you can figure out this one thing If that wasn't clear enough, then he just says this. In fact, the next phrase is the idea that drives the rest of the passage. If you want to win in your relationships, listen to this. He says, but rather, in in other words, in contrast to the vain conceit and the selfish ambition, in humility, 
literally in the, in, in the humility of your mind, the way you think and process. Now, now he's going to talk about an attitude that we're supposed to adapt. But rather in humility of mind, value, say this with me, value others, how? Above yourself, right? Now leave that verse up there for a while. Look at that verse. Value others. And in this case, we're talking about that other, that significant other. Value others above yourself. And what he means is that, is that we are supposed to start acting uh, like that person is more important than you are, right? Every single day, with every single decision that relates to them, uh, live as if, respond as if, react as if, initiate as if that one person is actually literally more important in this world than you are. So this is the title of the message. Give it to me real quick. You greater than me. You greater than me. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Paul is saying. Now, some of you are already coming up with excuses why you can't and why you wouldn't do that and why you're actually more important than they are. And, and I get it. I get it. Okay. But hang on here and see if Paul doesn't just sort of crush all of our arguments just because he's, he's got more to say. Now, now, I realize some of you are feeling like I am the most important in the person in the room, um, but, but let's be honest, you're not. Right? You ever go to a wedding and you're not the, the bride? You're not the most important person. Nobody's lining up to give you a hug or to take a picture with you or to catch weird things off your leg. Nobody does this, right? Nobody's trying to catch your flowers. Nobody's lined up to shake your hand. You, you ever have dinner with your boss at his house or something? You walk in there, you're not the most important person in the room. Now, I'm not talking about human value. I'm just talking about in the way that we sort of stack things. In, in certain contexts, there are people who will carry a more higher profile than, than we will in that moment. Paul says, I want you to make every single decision as if this person, this significant other, is actually more important or more valuable than you, to which you would say, no. Now, now wait a minute. They're not. Paul's not saying they are. Okay, listen to me. Paul is not saying that every other person is more important than you. This is not what Jesus is saying. He's saying love is a verb. I want you to treat them as if they are more important, more valuable than you. And I want you to treat them, I want them to treat you like, like you're more valuable than they are. It's called mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a new thought for some of us, isn't it? Because we're battling, we're fighting, we're arguing, we're, we're going at it. And ultimately, there's always vain conceit or selfish ambition involved. James would go on and talk about it in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Aren't they, and he goes on and says, aren't they selfish ambitions? Right? This is what he says. How would this look, though? How do we actually do this? How do we do, make this happen? All right, I want you to think about your most valuable possession that you have. For some of the guys in the room, that might be a car, that might be a, a motorcycle, that might be a gun, that might be a watch. Like, I don't know what it is for you. How do you treat that thing? Ladies, I don't know what it is for you. Um, a purse? Like, I, I don't, a car? I don't know. What do you guys, I, what? Food? What? I didn't, I didn't, I thought somebody said food. Jewelry, thank you, that's a good one. 
Thank you. See, I don't think, I, I think like a dude. I'm like, food? You know, sleep? You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, fellas, think about, I'm going to go with you because I can relate better. Um, like, think about your most valuable possession. Like, what do you do with that thing? How do you treat it? You make sure it's clean. You make sure it's polished. Your room, the toilet, disaster. Your motorcycle, your car, a mate. Don't you touch my car, kid. Don't breathe on it. Don't, like, because that's how I am, especially when my car is new. You will not eat in here. About three months later, there's French fries everywhere, <laughs> grease. Come on, dads, dad life right? But, but, but if it's like an old car, it's a, nobody's touching this, don't breathe on it. And, and you're going, yeah, and I keep that thing in the garage. Are you saying that I should keep her? No, 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 no. I'm not saying keep her in the garage at all, right? But what Paul is saying here is, okay, I want you to take, at the very least, I want you to take as good uh, care of and treatment with, with the proper respect of, with a significant other, at the very least, as, as you do your most valuable possession. You honor it, you treat it, you put it in a place of honor. And once again, we're like, yeah, 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 but she doesn't deserve it and he doesn't deserve it. And Paul would say, um, that's why I'm saying you should do it. They're like, what? If, if, if you thought, ladies, if you thought he deserved this treatment, you would probably treat him with that much respect anyway. You wouldn't have to think out of reverence for Christ. You'd just be like, oh yeah, that's what we do because he's awesome. The reason... Paul is telling us this is because he probably understands that this other person doesn't deserve it, so you have to make a decision that love is a verb, and I'm gonna go verb. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to love her or love him even though they don't deserve me putting them up at a place of high, high honor. We're gonna take love out of the, out of the intangible and the mystical and the feeling realm, and I'm gonna make it practical. practical. It's not just a, a feeling. It is first and foremost a decision. Because you, in the course of a long marriage, those of you who've been married a long time, there will be times where you don't feel it like you always did. You have lost that love and feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But you make a decision that it doesn't matter what I feel like, I'm going to verb. I'm going to love as a verb. Right? I, I want you to treat her and respond to her as if she is more valuable and more important to you. This is where you start. This is the starting point of what happy, fulfilled, successful couples know. And it took them a long time to understand this, but you could cheat the process. You could get a hack right here and start it now. Now, now don't freak out because you're like, this is really hard. This is a series. We're going to get into how all of this stuff works out next week. You got to come back. Even at even an hour earlier, even on spring break weekend, all right? Paul's saying, hey, listen, you, you want your relationships to work? And in the context of Ephesians 5 uh, is absolutely marriage. Philippians 2, it could be any relationship, but we're, we're, we're kind of going in with marriage and, and, and relationship. But he's like, you want this to work? Treat the other person not based on what you think she deserves to be treated or, or based on how she treated you last time and, and, and what she, he did in the past, but every single day you treat him, you respond to him, you respond to her as if she or he is literally more valuable, more important than you. Now think about it like this, because some of you are like having a hard time with this concept. When you are in the presence of somebody that you really admire, that you really respect, or that has a lot of power, and you, you have access to them in some way, do you know what you do to them, with them? Maybe it's the owner of the company. Maybe the big CEO comes in, like, and you're invited in the space. Or maybe, maybe you're in a room where there's some movie star or whatever, and they're like, hey, come over and hang out. Probably that would never happen. But if it did, you know what I'm saying? You defer to him or her, don't you? 
Like if you're the senior president of the company comes in, and if you're in a group of four or five people and they're powerful and you're not interrupting them and going, nah, man, that's not how that story went down at all. Like, like for instance, let's just say two of the most popular people in the world right now, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, right? You didn't think I was gonna talk about them today. Let's just say you got invited to sit at a table with them and you were like, and, and Bradley Cooper's telling the story and you're like, hey, Bradley Cooper, that's not how it went down, that thing with you and Lady Gaga. That's not how it went down at all, bro. I saw it on TMZ. That's not how it went down at all right? Like, you wouldn't do that. Like, like you, you wouldn't correct him. You, like, if, if Lady Gaga was stooped over a little bit, you wouldn't push her back to go, hey, get your posture right. You're sitting slumping at the table. Like, some, some of this, we do this stuff to each other. Like, you wouldn't do that. You, you would respect them. You would let them tell the story however they wanted to, right? respect would supersede everything. You'd, you'd let Brad Cooper tell a story wrong. You'd let him sip his coffee too loud. You'd let Lady Gaga chew her gum, smacking it while they're there. And you wouldn't tell her to stop and, babe, come on, man, stop. Like, you would just let them do the, the kind of things that you do for anybody that you have a lot of respect for. You, you give them the right away. But at home, with each other, in, in a crowd of people, we lose that respect over, over time with each other. And, and we treat each other like we're both morons. That's not a bad word, is it? Like, I don't even really know what a moron is. Is that a, is that a bad word? Okay, anyways, um, I got a story about that, but I won't tell it. Pa 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 Paul's saying, what would it be like to bring some of that, like I'm, I'm with a very important person, I'm not gonna interrupt, I'm not gonna correct, I'm not gonna talk down to. What if, what if we brought some of that into our relationship, this most important of relationships? What would that look like in our lives? Like, if, if the senior pres vice president of the company comes into your house, how are you going to respect him? What if we brought that into our relationships? How could that help our relationships right here, right now? Does that make sense? I hope it does, because if not, I'm dying up here, all right? <laughs> what, what would that look in your relationship right now? What would you have to change? He goes on and elaborates verse 4, and i got to fly. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but in t the interest of each other. Now, I'm not gonna lie. This is really hard for me, and I'm sure it'd be hard for Rachel as well. It's hard for me because I am most, mostly interested in the things that I am interested in. Can, can I, should I say that slower? Right? <laughs> See, I am naturally most interested in the things that I'm interested in, and I'm not always interested in the things that my wife Rachel is really, really interested in. Right? And, and vice versa. So every single day I have to make a decision. Am I going to look at, the, at, at ways to be proactively interested in something that holds no interest for me? This is what Paul is getting at here. You put her or his interests uh, ahead of your own. You pay attention. When she's talking, you lean in and listen. You don't tune out. You sit down and you watch that episode of Poldark or whatever that you really don't know what's going on and you really don't care, but you're like, yes, we're going to watch Poldark together. Anyways, uh, I got to fly. I got to fly. Now Paul says this. Let me kind of dig down into the, the, the second part of this, the Jesus, as Jesus loved us, that Jesus reference that Paul referenced in Ephesians, and now he's going to reference again. He says, verse five, this is very challenging. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. In your relationships with one another, and for today, the one another is the significant other, have the same attitude of mind Jesus had. In other words, approach this relationship with your spouse the same way Jesus, our Savior, approached a relationship with you and for, with me. Verse six, we're talking about Jesus now. Who being in very nature God, 
which means when Jesus was in the room, he literally was the most important person in every room ever. Everywhere Jesus went, he was God, which meant wherever he showed up, he was really the most important person who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is unbelievable. Who even though he's God, Jesus never walked into a room saying, hey, I'm kind of I'm God, and so like, I would like to sit there. I'm going to need you to move. And I got my 12 boys right here. I'm going to need all of y'all to get up and go to a different table because this is the table where we're going to sit, like some sort of Jesus mafia. He never does this. The other, other translations of the Bible say that he never considered equality with God something to be grasped, literally something to be taken hold of. In other words, he never pushed the, hey, I'm God button. Like, how many of you would like a button like that every now and then? Like in traffic, somebody cuts you off, you're like, bam, you're back of the line, you're back of the line, and it's a swamp, and it's just you there in the swamp with some, with some goats, you know what I'm saying? Like, that would be a sweet. Uh, anyways, he never does this. He never, he never leveraged who he was to his own selfish advantage, ever. Paul says, oh yeah, by the way, that's how you're supposed to love each other. V- verse seven, rather, he made himself nothing, which literally means he emptied himself. He took all of his rights, all of his ranks, all of his privilege, and he dumped it out on the side. Now, why does he do this? Why does Jesus do this? Because he made love a verb for me and you. Paul says, that's how I want you to approach these relationships. My observation is that when you've met people that have been married a very long time and have been in love a very long time, this is what you will find. You will find people who give the right away to each other. You will find people who have learned not to fight every time for their own way, for their own rights. Even, even if they are right, they won't fight for their own rights. They won't be a doormat, but they won't beat each other up. They will learn that th- the way that Jesus did, that they empty themselves of by taking the very nature of, the Bible says, the word, the next word is servant. Wait, wait, but you're Jesus and you're, you're God. And, and I know, I know, I know, but I've made a decision that love is a verb. I've made a decision. I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna empty myself and for the sake of my lost sons and daughters, this is why he does it, I'm gonna take on the form of a servant. And he says, being made in human likeness, verse eight, and being found in appearance as a human, human, he humbled himself. That means he submitted himself. Now, you know, let me tell you what it literally means. That he put himself under. This is what this word means. It means that even though he was God, even though he could have done anything he wanted, he took himself and he put himself under. And guess who he placed himself under? Jesus. Guess who he did this for? You. For, for me. Because he chose to, because he verbed to, because he made a decision that this is what love looks like. He placed himself under. What did that look like? By coming home early? No. By, 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 it's harder than that. By saying, thank you for the meal. I really appreciate your sacrifice with that. No, harder than that. By keeping his body in shape? No, harder than that. By, by staying on a budget? No, it was even harder than that. By talking about his feelings with people he loved? No, it was even harder than that. And being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. How far do we, how are we supposed to take this, Jesus? Well, I went ahead and died for you. That's how far. I put myself under you. I made you more important than me. And so in light of this, maybe, maybe you could come home on time. Now I'm making it practical. Maybe we could stop talking down to each other. Maybe you could stop keeping score. Yeah, but five years ago, remember that one thing you did? right? Maybe you could treat each other with more respect. Oh, in light of what you did, you, you were God and you came down and you put yourself under us. 
and you made yourself obedient and you made yourself a servant for us and you died on a cross for us, oh, maybe I could stop being selfish and being competitive. And maybe there's an actual advantage to that. Maybe I find that, that getting my way and winning the argument doesn't make me happy, that what actually makes me happy is going, you know what, you're right. Let's do it your way. And then there's peace and then there's joy and then there's love and there's fulfillment. But fighting for my way and fighting for my rights and fighting for my rank and fighting for my privilege. Jesus says, don't do it. Paul says twice, don't do it. Now let me tell you something. I'm, I'm way over my time. In order for Jesus to have a relationship with you and for me, he had to give up his rights. He had to give up what was coming. He had to give up respect and rank and, and, and he had to walk away from all that. And that, in other words, I can have a relationship with mankind, but in order to do that, I'm gonna have to submit myself. I'm gonna have to make their deal more important than my deal. I'm gonna have to make their interests more important than mine because your greatest problem and my greatest problem is that we were separated from God because of our sin and somebody had to take care of that. What's your greatest need? What's my greatest need is to be forgiven of all my sins, but I can't do that. And I can't be made right with God. And I have to wonder where I stand with God. That's my big deal. But for Jesus to have a relationship with us, he had to make your deal his deal. He had to give up his rights and put them underneath your rights. So when Christ died on a cross for your sins and mine, he made you a priority over himself. And Paul says, hey, listen, if you want to get this right, you got to make love a verb. Jesus says, if you want to get this right, you got to make love a verb. You got to put yourself under. You got to put, you got you to say, you are more important, more valuable in me, that that's the attitude, that that's the humility, that that's, that's the thing that happens. If you're gonna swipe right, you gotta start here to adopt the same attitude to the person that you wanna stay in love with, grow in your love with, and, and get it right. You have to do the same thing that Jesus did towards you, and that's why what Paul teaches. I can spend the next 10 years of my life fighting for my ways and my rights and my privileges, and, and I'm right, and, and I'm better, and I'm smarter, and I, you can do all that and end up nowhere, or you can say, what do happy older couples who've been married a long time know? They know this. And this is one of the biggest reasons why they have the relationship that we all admire, that we all go, man, wish I could be like that. They know this. And they've, they've learned it the hard way. And some of us could learn it the smart way right here, right now. I leave this place and I'm gonna look my spouse or my friend or whoever it is in the eye and say, you know what, you're, you're more valuable than me. You're more important than me. And I'm gonna start with every decision. I'm not gonna get it perfect, but every decision, every day, I'm gonna work hard to make that a reality in our marriage, in our home, in our lives. And it will change everything. Amen, somebody. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your words. God, thank you for the word of God, which teaches us how to have a happy, fulfilled marriage. Lord, next week, we're gonna, we're gonna unpack this more. But in the meantime, God, could we just pray about, could we just think about, could we spend time this week thinking about what would that look like in my life, in my marriage, in my relationships? How could that look, I pray? In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said a good amen. Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand. Would you amen, everybody? Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.